Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Our series uh, left on red, we are in the book of Habakkuk, one of the, the minor prophets. And when we say left on red, that is uh, a, a phrase to, to coin that anxious feeling when you receive a message or a text from a friend or, or actually you send the message or the text and you send it to your friend, your loved one, you know they read it, you know they read it, it even says they read it, and yet they do not respond. I told you last week that read receipts are not on my phone for a good reason, because I am the worst at responding. Uh, I'm bad about responding to my wife, I'm bad about responding to my pastor, I'm bad about responding to my friends, and it is just a bad thing. In fact, this week I I maintained my my reputation to most, but someone, I called back and they said, wow. Well, you, you won't call your wife back, you won't call Pastor Ed back, but you'll call me, I'm honored. But, uh, I told them not to tell anybody because I don't want to ruin my fabulous reputation. But that, that feeling when you don't get a response from someone you love is just terrible. It is way worse when you feel that you have given your plea to God and God just doesn't seem to respond. He seems uh, silent in the moment. That is where Habakkuk is. He has laid out a series of questions uh, to God. And and those questions come out of just a, a silence, an emptiness, and not hearing from God. It comes from the fact that there is a distant country, Babylon, who is closing in on Habakkuk and his people, and yet God still seems silent. And so maybe you're today in a time of silence and and you're seeking God, then I want you to learn from the principles here in Habakkuk. I hope that you will grab it. Habakkuk, he asked all these questions. Listen to some of the questions he asked. If God loves us, Why doesn't he protect us? That's the nature of the questions. Uh, Why isn't God responding to evil? Why is he responding to my enemies and not me? There's just this terrible feeling that God has not responded. And Habakkuk, who is a prophet, his role is to hear a message from God and deliver it to the people. But as we looked at last week, this, this, this moment in Habakkuk's life is a little bit different because it got really personal for Habakkuk because he wasn't receiving a message from God. He wasn't hearing anything. He had nothing to tell his people so much so that, that the doubt was beginning to creep up in his own life. And so rather than the message coming from God through the prophet to the people, this is the prophet giving the message of the people to God. And, and the, the gist of it is, 
God, where are you? Do you see the injustice? Are you unjust? And so we're going to catch up with him in uh, chapter 1. And let me just read for you what we talked about last week uh, in regards to the questioning. Here, here's how it goes so that you can follow with me. We're going to go fast through chapter 1 because we spent time on it last week. But uh, Habakkuk asks a series of questions. He gets a response. He doesn't like the response, and then so he asks another set of questions. And in chapter 2, we catch up with his full answer to Habakkuk for all that is going on. Turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1, and let me read for you the first set of uh, questions. And again, these are just questions about God's Silence is injustice. Uh, at the top of my Bible here, it says questions about God's inactivity. Where are you, God? Listen, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that the justice, so that justice has become perverted. Habakkuk's questions are very relevant. Uh, for today. One thing we mentioned last week is that the questions and the situation and the context of where Habakkuk was uh, can be related very much to today and what we are feeling uh, in every climate, in our communities, in our nation, and everything that is going on. The peace we need to find in Habakkuk and the truth is that the questions we ask were asked thousands of years ago. The, the, the time and history we are in is not a, a new surprising time for God. God knew about this time long ago, and he's dealt with his people generation after generation after generation who have the same question because they believe that their moment in history is about to wipe out everything that they know, and, and, and God's people continue, we do it today, we lose faith in God's response. We lose faith in God's promise to us. And so here are the truths that we talked about last week. Listen to them and just kind of a, a quick run through. But here's what we need to know. When God seems silent, he is not absent. When God seems silent, He is not absent. Habakkuk here, he thinks God is not listening because God is not doing what he asks. Can you relate to that? You see, there are times when God has a different solution. Maybe that would come into play in your homes. Has your spouse ever had a different solution for the same problem? 100% silence. Wise people. Wise people. Very wise. I I honor you in that. Uh, Here's even better. There are times when God has a different solution, but you know what? There are times when God has actually identified a different problem. 
Many times, the problem we are trying to solve is not the problem at all. There's an underlying issue, and we're going to look at that today. And then sometimes he doesn't change your situation because he's trying to change your heart. Listen to Habakkuk's reply to the first set of questions. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. This is verse 5. He goes, I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. He goes, look around, be amazed, I'm doing something great in your day, and if I told you about it, you wouldn't even believe me. And we talked about this last week, don't print that t-shirt too quick. Because oftentimes we, we want verse 5 to be the totality of the answer from God, but it's not. God keeps talking. And what he says is very, very uncomfortable. Remember what I told you about Habakkuk's day? There's a distant nation that is creeping in that is destroying other things. It's Babylon is coming. Listen to God's response. He says, I'm doing something in your day, and you're going to be amazed if I told you about it. If someone else told you about it, you wouldn't even believe it. Verse 6, right after it, no pause. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. That is uncomfortable. I don't like that. I've tried to remove it from my Bible, but then I get another Bible and it's still there. You know, it's like, it's like you can't get away from verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. How confusing. God's going to allow difficult times in our lives so that we will draw close to him. God will allow difficult times in our lives so that we can draw close to him. There's two uh, very uh, uh, kind of identifying moments in my life to where God seemed silent, and they were uh, troubled times in my life. One was, and I've shared this uh, before many times because it's such an integral part of my own life, was uh, arthritis as a child. I uh, could, not, could not run, could not play with everybody. It kind of sidelined me as a kid. I couldn't do everything that uh, I wanted to do. Couldn't do uh, things with, you know, the, the friends in the street. If I did, it was a terrible next few hours uh, in my knee and involved going to the doctor and having a large needle put in my knee to drain all the fluid that would come. It was a confusing time because my family believed in God. Uh, my family had prayed over me uh, we, we even went to the elders uh, in our church, and we believed in the healing of God. But for me, it didn't come soon enough. Uh, God did heal me, by the way. But the, the time in between was so confusing. And now, as an adult, as I've, as I've gained perspective of what God was doing, that is one of those moments in my life that God allowed me to go through a very difficult time in order not only to draw me close to him and to examine my heart, but he had things for me beyond what I could understand. 
uh, it would take me an hour to explain it, but, but I wouldn't be in church today, much less on stage today, had I not had arthritis as a child. So I tell you confidently that I, as an adult, am thankful. I give God praise for the arthritis in my knee. And, and I am so glad he didn't do it any other way. As a child, much different. There's another time in my life that I can't look back and say I'm thankful and, and this was when uh, fairly early married, uh, my wife and I had a miscarriage with our, our first child. And it was a very uh, lonely time. It was a dark time. Um, I wasn't at this church at the time, but none of the church people understood. Um, it, it's almost like the next day came and, and, and it was just done for everybody else. But for me and, uh, and, and my, my parents, Michelle's parents, uh, it... it it just hurt. And so not only was God's people very distant from me at that time in my life, uh, so was God. And, and I couldn't understand it. And so now I, I come to that point, and I'm not going to stand up here and, and lie to you and say I, as an adult, you know, uh, you know, now that I'm 20, whatever years away from that, you know, I'm thankful. I'm I'm confidently trusting that God did and will use that in my life. And so there's a difference in being, you know, humanly thankful and then being maybe trusting. It's a, it's a difficult balance uh, between the two. But if you're honest, now I could say I'm thankful, but I would really need to follow up with another 800 words to explain why I'm thankful, but in the sheer human standpoint, uh, of course, of course, I wish that had not happened uh, in, in my life, in my, life, my wife's life. Listen to two verses that take us through those troubled times. Romans 8, 28, uh, this is a, a very popular verse. God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, Romans 8, 28, you know, beautiful verse. There's another one, Genesis 50, 20. And this is probably one I go to more than the previous one to quote. And it says this, what the enemy intended for harm, God will use for his good. What the enemy intended for harm, God will use for his good. The NLT says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And so... Those are the times in my life that just being very uh, transparent with you, there's, there, there's a difference in the two. Thankful, trusting. Thankful, trusting. But on the other side, I know God is using things. And by the way, he has used the others because we have been able to empathize with couples who have gone through the same thing. And whereas maybe their friends and their church were silent to them originally, we have tried to be a voice in people's lives and just a comfort in times like that because we understand. Let's go on to chapter 2. Chapter 2, we get to God's response. But Habakkuk is going to do something. He is going to posture himself to listen to God. So let me pray before we head into that. And, uh, and let's ask God just to open our ears. Father, we love you. 
And Father, I do pray that you would just open our hearts and our ears to, Lord, what you want to tell us today. Remove Milt's words, and Father, may your words be what is heard today in the ears of everyone, Lord, and also uh, myself, Lord. What a, what a challenging and uncomfortable book to read. But Father, once we grasp it and we understand, it is a beautiful picture of your gospel. It is a beautiful picture Lord, of your grace. And so, Father, I pray that that could be heard and understood today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, and what we're going to see is that Habakkuk moves from doubt to faith. And I believe there's a key example of how he, he moved from that position. And it is an act of will. Um, he, he does some things, literally, that move him there. Look at Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. You see, Habakkuk has moved now from the rant and all the question asking of God, which is good. Don't hear it any differently. Listen to last week and you'll understand how, how we are to uh, question God. There's a right and wrong way to question God. We talked about that last week. But now he is moving out of the questioning of God because he has moved to faith rather than doubt. And watch what he says he will do. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. That could be literal. I, it's probably more uh, 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 not literal in, in that figuratively he is saying I will position myself uh, like that. When, when, we, when we get into a watchtower, when we climb up high, we have a totally different perspective. I don't know if you've ever seen a drone image of your own neighborhood in your house. It's like you look at it and you say, well, that's, that's way different, you know, than, than I looked at because I'm just here on the ground and I can't see everything. And the climbing up on the watchtower, what he's saying is, is I am going to go gain perspective and I am going to try and seek God's perspective where I can see what he sees. There's different ways that we can do that as a Christ follower. Number one, and most importantly, is surround yourself with people that will give you God's perspective. Don't surround yourself with people that are feeding you answers, human answers. Get around people that will feed you the need to draw close to God and to get his perspective. You see, Habakkuk has moved from knowing the answers to seeking the answers. And that's what's important in our life. We gotta move from just telling God what the solution is and moving towards asking God, God, what is the solution? I know you have it, and so I am going to wait. In fact, he says, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Here's what Habakkuk does. He, he climbs up to a place and then he waits for God expectantly and patiently. And so when God seems silent, we should approach him expectantly and patiently. When, when we approach God expectantly, we are expecting an answer, not the answer we think 
that he should do. But when we approach him expectantly, we know that God is going to provide an answer. Then we wait patiently. And being patient again, expectantly and patiently, is an act of the will. Let me describe for you what I believe is the key element in waiting patiently in this context when God is silent. We are deliberately laying down the burden of being right. Think about that for a moment. We are laying down, deliberately laying down the burden of being right. Timothy Keller puts it like this. We are, we, we are willingly or deliberately laying down the burden of assumed omniscience. <laughs> If you understand the word omniscience, it's something we can only ascribe to God in which he is all-knowing. But laying down that burden of thinking we got all the answers, laying down that burden of thinking, man, we got it all together. Have you ever understood that that is actually a burden? There is something freeing. What, what, What does the Bible say? Lay it at the altar. Nine times out of ten, you're laying your own answers at the altar, and you're just saying, God, I'm gonna trust in you. Regardless of what I think the answer is, I'm going to trust in you. And so we wait expectantly and patiently. We lay down that burden of assuming we know it all. I want to uh, remind you of Job. If, if you've read the story of Job in the Old Testament, uh, long story short, Uh, the enemy, Satan, actually walks into, I like to call it a staff meeting of God and and, and the angels. He walks in there and he just kind of peeks in the door and says, hey, just so you know, I looked all around earth. There ain't nobody serving you anymore. See you later. Bye. And, 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 And God steps up and says, wait, I'll show you a guy. And Job becomes this trophy, you know, that, that God reveals to the enemy himself that, yes, there are people on earth that are still serving me. And, and the enemy says, well, then, then let me test them. God says, okay, do it. And Job goes through all sorts of things. Go read Job. Fascinating if you've ever read it. And now I want, I want to bring you to this one verse, or actually two verses in Job chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. Go home and read this, because if, if you're like me, we, we read Job through in this fell swoop, and we grab it all. But sometimes you got to pause and look what actually happened there. And verses 9 and 10 is incredible. He's responding to his friend Eliphaz, and Eliphaz, is accu- he's accusing Job of doing wrong. He goes, man, you've done wrong. You need to fix something. Something is going on. And Job says, No, I'm going to trust in my Lord. I have faith that I don't have the answer, but God does. I have faith that my Lord, my God, will save me, and he knows what he's doing is best for his kingdom. Listen to what he says. This is beautiful. Job 23, 9 and 10. He says to his friend, I do not see God in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, But God is concealed. But God knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. What faith. When God tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Understand, this guy has lost everything. 
and yet he holds on to the faithfulness of God. Think of it like this. Even though I don't know where God is, God knows where I am. If I can't find him, that's okay. Because God knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly where you are. Uh, Then I've been assuming I know what's best, and I'm going to lay that burden down. It's a beautiful moment. That is the truth of, of the, the physically laying our cares at the altar. It is putting all that before God and saying, I admit it. I need perspective. I admit it. Your ways are higher than mine. I admit it. I don't have the answers you do. And then even admitting that maybe what I think is the problem might not even be the problem. Listen to God's answer, verses two through four. Very interesting. This is a good response. It's a little less uncomfortable, although there's some truths in here that we need to hear. Uh, God's response, number one, it is a call to faith. More often than not, I can't say with 100% for everybody's scenario, but more often than not, when, when God's silence is broken, He is going to call you to a moment of faith. And it's interesting. If you've been through tough times, you'll you'll notice that really the problem kind of fades away. It's still there. But the problem more fades away. And then this, this trust in God overcomes our life. So God doesn't necessarily even take the situation away, but he draws us closer uh, to him. And, and it's a, a fascinating thing that he does. Uh, verses 2 through 4 in Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. I kind of like that term, correct. <laughs> God has a lot to say when he says the correct message. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. And then he says, and this is what you put on your T-shirt, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. The righteous will live by faith. That verse is quoted in Romans 1, where Paul is giving the whole understanding of the gospel of grace. The righteous will live by faith. Beth Moore says this. She said, faith is not believing in my own unshakable belief, but rather faith is believing in an unshakable God when everything in me trembles and quakes. I like that. Faith is not believing in my own unshakable faith, but faith is believing an unshakable God when everything in me trembles and quakes. God's response now that that, uh, Habakkuk will write down, contained in it is five warnings or five woes. And now the good news is the woes, the warnings, now God is going to answer and he's going to say, here are the woes, here are the warnings that I will give to Babylon that is coming. Understand, they're still going to come, but here are the woes. And so he's speaking to 
to Habakkuk about the Babylon who is coming. You will maybe see in scripture or commentaries that it's to the Chaldeans. I was asked about that a little bit last week. The, the Chaldeans are people of Babylon, a cruel and violent people. And so just take those terms, squash them together, and for these purposes, that's what you need. And so, so God is giving these five woes to Babylon. And there are so many ways to categorize these five. Like you can spend days, because I tried. And, you know, different scholars will say different things. Well, let me, let me give you five woes in, in categories that are more about not what he is going to do or will do or what Babylon did wrong, but what is the underlying theme, what is the underlying maybe sin that happened that, that Babylon reacted in this way? Because these woes are not just for Babylon. They're not just for Habakkuk. They're there for us. They're written down so that we can learn from them because we all participate in these. The five woes are this, wealth, security, power, pride, and control. Wealth, security, power, pride, and control. And so none of these, believe it or not, in and of themselves are bad. You can have a good pride. I'm proud of what I did. You know, you can have wealth. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Power, good. Control, maybe. I don't know if I can work that one out. But, But wealth, security, power, pride, and control. When any of these things become the ultimate source of hope in your life, then they become an idol. And so that's what we're looking at. What, what, when pursued as ultimate, when pursued as your only hope, what is the sin that follows? So listen to these five real quick. Woe to those who trust in wealth. Habakkuk 2, 6 through 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in the NLT, it says what sorrow. In other translations, it'll say this warning. Uh, in, in many translations, it'll say woe. It'll say, woe to the thieves. But, uh, but so every time it says, what sorrow, that's the beginning of the woe and the warning. What sorrow awaits you, thieves. Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. The next three or so all have to do with wealth. But when wealth becomes ultimate in your life, when, when we put our hope in wealth, 100% hope in wealth, Our sin will become greed, and we will never be satisfied. In fact, I will tell you, the richest person in this room is the one who is most content with what God has given them. You can ask any Christian financial advisor. Someone with $30,000 who is content is way better off than someone who has a million dollars and is not content because the, the... that satisfaction will never uh, be there if we put all of our trust in wealth. Secondly, woe to those who trust in security. Verse 9 says, What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. Not Not a bad thing to build a big house, but you shouldn't build it with money gained dishonestly. He goes, you believe your wealth will buy security. That, that's the underlying idol in the life there is security. You see, wealth becomes an idol. Security becomes an idol. When we put our hope in security, we will put trust in ourselves rather than God. Have you ever been there? 
You know, we have different stages in our life. And have you ever, like, analyzed yourself and you say, you know, I'm no longer asking God to help me in that area. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, is it because I'm fully trusting God? Or did I have a few successes and now I'm trusting myself? You see, if we put our hope in security, that if it's taken away, everything will go, then, uh, then we're going to trust in ourselves rather than God. Woe to those who trust in power. Listen to verse 12. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? The power of murder, the power of corruption. When we put our hope in power, we're going to use others for selfish gain. Woe to those who trust in power. Woe to those who trust in pride. Verse 15. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup upon them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Uh, Most people will categorize this woe as a woe of alcohol. And I think that is appropriate. We should be warned about alcohol. But there's the underlying sin here, and it's of pride. They are are using alcohol, and, and maybe 10 times out of 10, alcohol is you When abused... Alcohol is used to do something else or cover some other area in our life. And here, they are getting their neighbors drunk so that they can gloat. And they can gloat over their shameful nakedness. More than likely, this is not a sexual sin. More than likely, it is pointing to the Old Testament concept of when your nakedness is revealed, it reveals your spirituality. It reveals your, if you're a Jew or a Gentile. And you can go look that up on your own. But there is a revelation if you have the covenant you know, with God. And so what he's saying is you, you force your cup on them so you can gloat, but soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. When we put our hope in self, pride, we will shame others and eventually expose ourselves. The last one, woe to those who trust in control. This one's going to talk about idols, but I'm talking about control as the idol, wealth as the idol, uh, security, power, pride, control as the idol. Look look at Habakkuk uh, 2, verse 18. He goes, what good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you? who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stones, images, you say, rise up and teach us. And that's my key part right there for me. To speechless stones, we say, rise up and teach us. You know, when we want to be in control, when we put ourselves in control, guess what we do? We will seek answers only from people or things that will affirm our already beliefs that will, that will tell us what we want to hear. How many of you find yourselves doing that? Rather than, than going to someone who is maybe going to tell you the truth or challenge you, it's a little bit easier to sway to the person that is just going to comfort you and tell you what you want to hear. Those who trust in control. All these are idols in our life. Most of us are not carving the idols uh, in our garage most of us have an idol that has just 
crept up in our life. So how do you identify an idol? Let me define it first. An idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life, or your identity. It becomes the most fundamental thing to you, and it is placed in priority above God, whether you mean for it to or not. And understand this, good things can become idols. You see, a good thing becomes an idol when you make it ultimate. A good thing becomes an idol when you put all your hope in that good thing. And then all of a sudden, like we said before, a sin will eventually creep out. It's those underlying things. So maybe, just maybe, when God is silent because you've got a solution that you're putting out there, maybe it's related to one of these five woes and God is saying, hey, that is not the issue. That is not the issue. What I want to fix is the greed in your life. What I want to fix is this in your life. And the reality is, when you make something an idol, it, it comes before God. When you make something an idol, in fact, anything that you do that if you lost it, anything you have that if you lost it, it would wreck your life, that's an idol. In fact, think about this. If you want to identify an idol in your life, you could ask this question. You could say, what do I dream about? What are my dreams? But I would challenge you with a more difficult question. Rather than asking what my dreams are, ask yourself this. What are my nightmares? What are my nightmares? What, what, would, what if I lost, what is something in my life that if I lost it, that my life would be wrecked? That's the nightmare. And that's what becomes idols. Anything removed that takes away your will for life, that is your deity. And there will be an underlying sin as a result. Think about this. When we sin, any behavioral sin has an underlying idol. Because when we have a behavioral sin, it means that we are putting that one thing above Jesus Christ at that moment. And you cannot escape that truth. When we sin, when we have a behavioral sin, it is something that is so important to you at the moment that you put it above the grace of Christ. In fact, we presume on the grace of Christ. And in that moment, it is more important than Jesus Christ. Let me close with this, just to help you identify your idols. Let, let me ask you just this week, ask yourself three questions. What thing, if you lost it, would make you lose your will to live? What thing, if you lost it, would make you lose all meaning and significance? What thing, if you lost it, would make you lose hope? You see, Habakkuk moved from doubt to faith, from doubt to faith, and he approached God expectantly and patiently. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, may we identify those things in our lives that we're putting before you. Lord, what idol is there? And Father, I'm mesmerized by the quote from Beth Moore that faith is not believing in my own shakable belief, but rather, Lord, faith is believing in you 
an unshakable God, even when everything around me is trembling and quaking and falling apart, Lord. And Lord, I pray that today we would seek you. And Father, be willing to be wrong about our solutions, Lord. I pray that we'd be willing to be wrong about even what we think the problem is, Lord. And may we seek your heart and seek your face. And Lord, may you develop a newness in us because of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.